Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Genesis, chapter number 22. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today in Genesis chapter 22. And as our choirs are fi- choir members are finding their seat, and uh, thank you so much for singing and praising the Lord this morning. I want to share with you a couple of things, three things I want to share with you. First of all, last week, what a wonderful week. We had over 120 families visiting for the first time on campus last week, and there were 25 people that prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior in our services. It was just a wonderful, wonderful day all the way around, and that shows that you care about your church, you care about the souls of your friends, and man, praise the Lord that you were part of that special day, our Harvest Fair Sunday, which brings us to a reminder that our largest evangelistic event of the entire calendar year is just about five weeks from today. We call it our Christmas experience. And on that Sunday afternoon and into the evening, we'll transform this entire campus into a winter wonderland. And we'll have games and prizes. Uh, The story of Bethlehem will be acted out with our uh, staff members and volunteers. And we need your help with that in order to execute that large event where we will have thousands of people on campus, and hundreds of guests who have never heard the gospel will be in this auditorium learning about Jesus and all the vendors that will be present. We need an army of volunteers, and you can help out. You might be able to help out in running games, registration, helping with cleanup or crowd control. Out in the lobby, there's uh, some sign-up sheets, and it doesn't matter who you are. We need help on that evening to show this community the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to give away 150 free Christmas trees on that night, and it's just our way of showing this community that Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. And uh, man, when you walked out this morning, didn't you feel the Christmas chill in the air? Last Sunday was the last Sunday of summer. Today is the first Sunday of winter. It just feels like it went right past fall. But I'm so glad that you're here. That's the first thing I want to share with you. The second thing I want to remind you of is that um, this next week, uh, on Tuesday night, we have uh, uh, is Halloween. And Halloween is one of the best days throughout all of the year to meet your neighbors and invite them to church. Tell them about Jesus Christ. And so we've prepared these special Halloween uh, tracks, invites to church. They've got some kids on them and stuff. So take a stack of these. I know in our neighborhood, we'll have about 100 or so people will come to our door and they'll say trick or treat and we give them good candy. So if you're giving out a flyer from Liberty Baptist Church, make sure you're giving away good candy. All right? None of... Uh, make sure you've got a Reese's peanut butter cup, you've got a Kit Kat, you've got maybe a Butterfinger bar. Please do not give our flyers away with a Tootsie Roll. Okay, don't do that. If you're going to do that, give them a flyer for Southern Hills Baptist Church, but not Liberty Baptist Church. We don't want them to have, do not give away a Tootsie Roll with that. So give away good candy and give away a flyer. And uh, it's a great time. Halloween, I found in our neighborhood, is a great time to meet our neighbors because our neighborhood's much like every other Las Vegas neighborhood. People come in, they drive, shut the garage door, hopefully nobody saw us, right? But on that day, people go door to door. And of course, Halloween, you can't say Halloween without saying hello. So you've got to go through, to make sure you uh, take advantage, hello, H A 
Anyways, you have to take advantage of the opportunities afforded to you, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. And then next Sunday morning is a special Sunday where we will honor our veterans. I'm thankful to be an American, aren't you? I love this country, and I recognize it's our veterans that gave us that freedom, that helped uh, purchase that freedom for us. And so next Sunday morning at this uh, 9.30 and 11.45 hour, or 11.30 and 9.45 hour, we honor our veterans. And if you are a vet, if you can wear your uniform, wear your uniform. It's special. If you are in the service, wear your uniform. And I know you guys are like, oh, I don't, that's just weird. And I'm like, no, do it. Do it for us. And if you don't want to do it for us, do it for America. So come into the services and we will honor our veterans and those who are actively uh, in services uh, or in the service. I have a special friend who's going to be here. I have a friend who is in the army, went over into the Middle East and was serving as a captain in the army and he was blown up. And uh, because of that injury, he uh, went through a number of different procedures. His life was spared, and his name is Captain Sam Brown. I was in his church about three weeks ago up in Reno and heard some of his testimony and heard about uh, his experiences, and I think it's just going to really encourage you. He's a believer, uh, a patriot, and he'll be in services next Sunday just sharing his testimony. I hope that you'll be part of that as we um, celebrate America and our veterans. It's a special Sunday. All right. You got your Bibles? Open them up to the book of Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 1, the Bible says, and it came to pass after these things. Only one person said, yes, they have their Bible. Let me make sure you're there. If you have your Bible, say yes. yes. All right, good. Verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. Lord, I pray in the next few minutes you'd help me to communicate truth from your scripture that would be a help to these my friends. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, we started this study entitled Signs and Signals, a look at the life of Abraham and Sarah, who God wanted to do an amazing work that would have eternal consequence and demonstrate his work, his light, and his love for generations to come. In Abraham, would all nations of the earth be blessed. In Abraham, there would be descendants as the stars of the uh, heavens and as the sands of the sea. Abraham and Sarah would have a wonderful legacy as they began God's chosen people, the Israelites, through Abraham and Sarah. And we said that God has a plan for each of our lives. Regardless of your background, Regardless of what your circumstances are now, God has a plan for your life. If you believe that, say yes. Yeah, God has a plan for your life. But we, as human beings, are, um, are required to know the signs and signals of following his plan. We said this in the first week, that sometimes God says, no, stop, 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 stop. Sometimes says, go, go. This is do it, do it, do it. And then sometimes... We're at a place where we're not exactly sure, and those yellow lights in our life are a place of decision. We also said that God desires for us to live in community. We merge our lives with others. We merge our lives into his plan. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He gives us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside with us. He gives us companions. He also gives us a church to walk through his plans and his processes for our life. There are some places that as we're on a journey, we'll say very quickly, oh, that's a dead end. And when you hit a dead end, a place where God doesn't want you to be, you don't just try to continue going through those circumstances. You make a U-turn. And those U-turns are so important in our life because God has a way that he wants me to walk and a way he doesn't want me to walk. 
And so we learned about walk and don't walk. I don't compare myself with other people. I compare myself to what God has told me to do. So Joe has a plan for his life, and he's to walk his plan for his life. Don't walk Matt's plan for his life. Abby has a plan that God has for her life. She walks her plan for her life. Don't walk Matt's plan for my life. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise, the Bible says. So I walk where God wants me to walk. I don't walk where God doesn't want me to walk. And then I don't allow detours to come in. Those detours where I'm still doing what God wants me to do, but I'm doing it my own way. Or I scheme or I connive a pattern or a path to get where I think God wants me to be. Nope, I don't take detours. I follow the one way that God has prescribed because there is one way that God wants me to follow. There's one way that God wants me to listen. There's one way that God wants me to live. And I must follow that one path. With all of these signs, with all of these signals, today we conclude our sermon series and we'll be looking at this sign. It's the sign of yielding. Now, of all the signs, every single one of them is important. Every single one of them give lessons that we should adopt and observe in our lives. But this one is one that is not a one-time event. This sign of yielding is something that you will deal with, not just every day of your life, but oftentimes moment by moment. You're in Genesis chapter 22. I want you to see a scripture. It's on the screen in Romans chapter 6, and it's kind of the springboard into our discussion. The Bible says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It's a very easy thought, but it's complex to live out. God says here through the authority of Scripture that you and I, it's, it's just logical, we know this, know ye not. To whom ye yield, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. Whoever you're following, that's your master. Whether of sin, you can do sin, but when you follow that sin yield, it's always going to lead to death. Or you can follow that obedience yield that will lead unto righteousness. Now, some of you are new to church, and the story we're going to go through in Scripture today may be familiar, but I just got to tell you, it's one of the hardest passages of Scripture that, we've ever, that I've ever studied as an individual, because it is a story of yielding. And I grew up in church. 45 years ago, I was born into a pastor's family. I'd learned about the Word of God. I've grown up in the Word of God. But I got to tell you, every time reading Genesis chapter 22, it's a hard one. And it's a hard one because this is the place where we live. It's that place of living. It's that place of yielding, not just in life, not just every day, but it's a place of moment by moment yielding to God. If you're unfamiliar with this scripture, we're going to make sure you go all the way through and you see the end of the passage and you don't take a judgment before you get through the end. But there's seven important lessons that we learn from perhaps one of the most difficult passages of scripture, Genesis chapter 22, as we learn the lesson of yielding. What is that lesson? Well, the first lesson is this that we'll see in verse number one. God tests for our benefit, not for his. If your Bible's open, look at verse number one where the scripture says this. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. As we continue to go on, I think it's important that we looked at that one verse or that one word, and that word is tempt. 
The word temp there comes from the Hebrew word nasa, which had a very virulent or a live meaning whenever the Bible was translated some 400 years ago, and would be tempted, the word uh, translated tempt would be a very good use of that word today. That word tempt has a different meaning for us today, but the word nasaw would have more of the idea of a testing or a proving ground. So, for instance, the scripture says this in James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The Bible principle is this. God doesn't come to somebody and dangle a sin in front of them and say, come on, come on, it's okay, come on, come on. It's the idea of dangling a pepperoni pizza in front of a guy who's trying to lose weight. Ah, God doesn't do that to a person. He doesn't tempt somebody to do something wrong. The word nasaw, where it says tempt here in the Old Testament, is the idea of testing or proving. So God doesn't bring people to a place of sin. He's not trying to, come on, come on, come on, whap! Come on, come on, come on, whap! That's not God. God doesn't tempt people with evil. Oh, but God will test us. Let me say that again. God will test you. Now, any person who has gone through a test realizes this, that the purpose of a test is not for the person giving the test. If you've ever taken a driver's test, the person who administered the test wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, goody, this is for my benefit. No, the person giving the test is there for the person taking the test. If that makes sense, say yes. So the test is not about the person giving the test. The test, the test is for the benefit of the person taking the test. God will test us. That's the idea in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number one. God is about to test Abraham. And as he tests Abraham, there is going to be one of the most difficult tests and seasons that Abraham will go through in his entire life. Perhaps the hardest week of Abraham's life is found here in Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. I think a better understanding there is the word test, Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham. And Abraham understands this. Whenever God speaks, you listen. Behold, here I am. Lesson number one, God tests for our benefit, not his. Number two, obedience, not feeling, is the measure of faithfulness. Well, I feel like I want to do what God wants me to do. That's awesome. But you might not feel that way at 2.30 this morning. Okay? So feelings are not the measure of our faithfulness. So just because I feel something doesn't mean that I'm passing a test. Have you ever passed a test, taken a test and thought, I felt good about that? 68. How many of you had that experience in high school? Okay? How many of you had that experience in college? How many of you experienced that every day? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I felt like that was a good quarter. That's not a good quarter. The, uh, it's not feelings that are a demonstration of faithfulness. It is obedience that is a demonstration of faithfulness. Because when God tests us, sometimes those tests do not feel good. Sometimes that experience is not like riding Dumbo at Disneyland. It's not a lot of fun and something you look forward to. But God will test, and if God tests, recognize this, that it is obedience, not feelings, that are a measure of faithfulness. 
In a world that is so consumed with feelings, understand that faithfulness is not measured by how much I like something or how affirmed I am or if my anxiety level is low. Faithfulness is determined by obedience. Now, are you saying God doesn't care about our feelings? No. Look at three lessons about obedience. Oh, well, you say, why do you say that? Look at what he's going to ask Abraham to do. Verse number two. Forgive me, I got ahead of myself. And he said, take now thy son, okay, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there a burnt offering upon the mountain, which I will tell thee of. Whoa, 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 whoa. God, <laughs> God, for the last 15 years, I've been raising this boy. You told me for 100 years, I didn't have a child. And then you gave me this boy, and you're telling me to take him to the top of this mountain range and burn him as a sacrifice to you? There's no nobility in it. It's not as if he's given a sacrifice for the life of somebody else. It's not like there's great cause that he's following through on. No, I want you to give your life as a sacrifice because I want that. Because I said so. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lord, that, that feels bad. That doesn't make me feel good. I don't like that. Obedience, not feelings, are a standard of God's righteousness. Well, what about my feelings? Can I show you three things? Number one, concerning feelings, God cherishes your feelings. You ever seen a cruel person? You ever seen a cruel person when somebody's hurting, they're like, I don't care. Suck it up, put some dirt on it, drink some water. You ever seen a person like that? God's not that guy. Notice what the Bible says about a person who's hurting. The Lord is what? Nigh. He's close to them that are of a broken heart and saveth as much as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Look what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that God cherishes your feelings. Say your name at the count of three. One, two, three. Whatever name you just said, God knows about your feelings. He cares about your feelings. He desires for your feelings to be good. He's not in a place that's like, ha, this will take it, stick it to him. Ha, 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 ha. He's not a sadist. He's not a person who takes glee in practical jokes when people fall down, when people get hurt. He doesn't watch America's Funniest Home Videos because he would have had the best collection anywhere. He doesn't watch America's Funniest Home Videos when a person falls and breaks and crashes and lands. He's not like, ha, 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 ha. The Bible tells us that the heart of the, we do that because we're jerks. The Lord is not a jerk. I sit there and I'm like, <laughs> honey, honey, come here, come here. And Brianna will say something like this. That is awful. You know why? Because she's more like God than I am. Because God, whenever somebody's hurting, God says, oh, he's close to them that are of a broken or a contrite heart. So God cherishes our feelings, but notice God will challenge our feelings. Because we don't live our life by feelings, we live our life by commands. We live our life by the facts of God's word, not the feelings that are dynamic. So with, our challenging, with God challenging our feelings, the scripture says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Oh, we live in fear. We live in fear of a, of a, a, 
a, a microbe that's going to get into our nose and give us some disease that was going to pass around. We live in fear. We do everything to us. We put safety nets all around. We live in fear. We live in fear of what somebody's going to say about us. We live in fear of losing our economy. We live in, live in fear of losing our comfort. We live in fear of losing our status, our followers, our opportunity. We live in fear. And God says, I didn't give that to you. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So God understands our feelings, but he will challenge us on our feelings. Number three, he challenges us to change our feelings. Look what the scripture says here in Philippians chapter four. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. There are so many lies out there. Stop thinking about it. There are so many people who are just dishonest. Stop giving them the attention of your day. There are so many things that are just impure. When I go through my TikTok feed, when I go through my Instagram, there's just so much filth. Get off Instagram! The world will be okay if you don't look at Facebook. We did it for like a lot of years. And so in a world where there's just so much filth and there's so much garbage and I can't believe it, delete the app. You say, well... Well, what if I miss out? You'll be okay. You really will be okay. You'll, you'll be fine if you don't know what your second cousin had for lunch. It'll be fine. Like, you'll, you'll have a real relationship, and you'll have people that you'll get to talk to, and you'll get to invest. And the FOMO, the fear of missing out, God didn't give you that. God didn't give you that, so what do I do? I think on things that are pure. I think on things that are just. There's just so much injustice around the world. Stop thinking about injustice and think about the justice that God has given you. Think about that which is lovely. I'm telling you this. This is not lovely. I will crush them all. Stop thinking about it. And the things that are in this Halloween season where there is death and there's skeletons and there's creeps and there's blood... You're like, man, this is a dark season. Yes, don't think about it. Don't, don't, put, don't put witches in your home. Don't put death all around you. Don't put severed heads and hands walking around like this is something that is good. No, think on that which is, look what the Bible says, lovely. Change your feelings. Allow God's word to change your feelings. And then he says, things that are of a good report. This has a good reputation. People speak highly of this. I want to know what this is all about. I want to know the dirt. The other day, somebody said, did you hear about this guy who did that? I said, oh, I heard. Do you know what he did? And I said, no, I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. Why do you not want to know? Because it, it doesn't help me. It's not going to, I'm not going to navigate somebody through this situation. Look at the good reports. What are the good reports? If there be any virtue, the Bible says, if there be any praise, what? 
Think on these things. You can change your behavior. You do not have to live in anxiety and depression and a place where you're, I don't know how to, I can't go out into crowds. People don't like me. No, you can change your feelings. How do you know? God said to do it. And so if God said to do it, I'm going to yield to what he said to do rather than what some prescribed doctor or expert tells me I'm supposed to do. I can change my feelings. Obedience, not feelings, is the measure of faithfulness. When we live our life by feelings, we will always be transient and dynamic. The steady path of a Christian life is based upon obedience, not feelings. Lesson number three, act immediately upon God's instruction. In verse three, the scripture says this, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. This is a very easy lesson. It's act immediately upon God's instruction. When you know God wants you to do it, do it. Don't wait till next Monday. Don't wait until you graduate. Don't wait until you get married. Don't wait until the kids are out of the house. Don't wait until you retire. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed. Do what God wants you to do immediately. Some of you have people in your life that you need to call and apologize to. Some of you have people in your life that you need to call and say, I forgive you. Some of you have relationships that God's been telling you, you just delete them. Just sever that relationship. But, 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 but act immediately. When God impresses you to do something, don't give yourself a timeline of next Tuesday to start. Do it today. Do you see what Abraham, Abraham, you're going to go and offer your son a burnt offering. What? Well, man, I... I, I imagine probably one of the reasons why he woke up early is because I'm not sleeping on that night. I, can you imagine all of that? Okay, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Act immediately. There is no timetable of delay. When God gives a command, obey. When God leads you to do something, obey. When God lays upon your heart to witness, share Jesus. Don't wait. Don't next Tuesday. Don't the New Year's coming around. Don't after the holidays obey. Lesson number three, Abraham, he rose up early in the morning. Act immediately upon God's instruction. Lesson number four, trust the character of God. You can always trust the character of God. Do you remember what Satan said to Eve inside of the garden? Do you remember that? Hath God said, oh, if you take a bite of that fruit, you're going to be, you're going to be like a God, and God's a little insecure with his godness. And so, and think about how stupid that is. You take a bite of fruit and you become like God. Like this is Alice in Wonderland or something. Take a bite of the fruit and you'll be like God. What does Satan do to Eve and Adam? He tests the character of God. God is not a sadist. God is not a person who revels in other people's ministry. You can trust the character of God 100% of the time. It doesn't matter if you're a junior in high school. You can trust God 100% of the time. It doesn't matter if you're 45 and going through the middle of this thing called life. 
You can trust God. You might be a senior citizen. You can trust God's character. God is always good. God is always good. My family and I went to a, we were in South Carolina, and it was a Sunday, and there was a Baptist church right across the street from us. I said, let's go to that Baptist church. When we went in there, there was my wife and I, our three daughters at the time, I don't think Luke was around, and we all walked in there, and we noticed immediately that we were the only white people in this church. It was a black Baptist church. And when we walked into this black Baptist church, they just greeted us and welcomed us. They loved us. People came up to us, and they hugged us, and they said, Jesus loves you, and so do I. And at first, we're like, oh, people are hugging us. About the third or fourth person that came through, my youngest daughter, Charlotte, was hugging people. Jesus loves you, and so do I. Jesus loves you, and so do I. It was just a wonderful experience going to this church. I'd never been into an all-black Baptist church. The music was good, almost as good as our choir today. The music was really good, and the, the preaching was long, and not as long as it's going to be today, but the preaching was long, and it was, just, it was just a great experience. One of the things they said in that black Baptist church was this. They said, God is good all the time. And then the church replied back, and all the time, God is good. I thought, man, that was really good. I like that. God is good. And all the time. Isn't that true? And Satan lies to you, though, and says he's not. God is always good. Look what the scripture says in verse 4. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I... And the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. This is a heartbreaking verse right here. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, Dad, my father, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? No doubt, Abraham had seen, or Isaac had seen Abraham perform a sacrifice dozens, maybe hundreds of times. And on this day, it's un, it's just business as usual. Sure, we traveled a few days to get here, but as this young teenage boy, 13, 14, 15 years old, is carrying the wood, he's looking around, he's like, carrying the wood, carrying the wood, and he sees dad's got the knife and the fire, and he's carrying the sticks. He says, dad, hey dad, we got everything, but where's the lamb? Who's the one who's supposed to be sacrificed? As a sheep before his shears is dumb, yet he opened not his mouth. Here's this innocent young boy who says, um, what's going on here? Look at verse number eight. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went on both of them. I don't know the emotions that are going through Abraham at this time. 
Abraham's a person who's not dumb. He's not just this blind follower. He has schemed. He's worked. He has taken, he's a man of battle. He's a man of commerce. He's a man of business. He's a person with great personal relationship skills, but he is stuck on this one. The Bible tells us, though, he trusts the character of God because God is good. Oh, and all the time. Notice what he says. The Bible tells us some insight onto Abraham's thinking in Genesis chapter 11. The Bible tells us that Abraham accounted that God was able to raise him up, Isaac, even from the dead. Abraham was going to go through this thing all the way to the end. You want to know why? He trusted the character of God. Look at the next verse. As you trust the character of God, the Bible tells us this, and it came to the place which God had told him of. This is the spot. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound up Isaac, his son. What do you think that was like? Where he ties his son's hands together. Think about the model of obedience that he has displayed. So much so that a 14, 15-year-old young man is willing to allow this 115-year-old guy to tie him up. And I'm not trying to be light or funny, but if I'm Isaac, I'm thinking, I can outrun this dude. If I'm Isaac, I'm thinking, maybe he's lost his senses because he's 115 years old. Maybe he's just gone a little crazy up there. What are we doing? But that's not Isaac. Notice the complete trust that Isaac has in his dad, who's putting his complete trust in his father. What an incredible model. So much so that Isaac says, you're doing what? You're going to bind me? So he binds him, and the Bible says in verse number 10, he lays him upon the altar. So the plan is you're going to kill me, burn me, and then God's going to raise me back to life? This is crazy stuff. The Bible says in verse number 10, that Abraham stretched forth his hand, look at this, and took the knife to lay, to slay his son. This is, this is no joke. Abraham standing over his son with the knife drawn ready to plunge it into him and bring about his demise and then burn that sacrifice. You think this is easy? You think this is a fun little Bible story? This is real deal. Which leads us to lesson number five. Lesson number five is this. You're going to choose the hard thing you will do. Every person gets to choose their hard. Every person chooses their hard. Man, that's a really hard thing to do. To serve and obey God right there is really hard. Can you look at the alternative? You want me to do what, Lord? Okay. I've been doing this for 11 decades, and I'm done. Sarah, Isaac, me, we're done. No more sacrifices. We will live out the rest of our days without you, God. 
That's hard. You get to choose your hard. You can choose the hard of living without God or yielding to God. We all choose our hard. We could bring people in here, Zoom call folks in from Indian Springs or Gene or tell me about your hard. You know, I knew better, but I chose this. It's hard. We could tell, talk to people who were promiscuous and are suffering from venereal diseases, and yeah, that was hard. People who decided they would be good to cheat on their spouse, and now they're on their third or fourth try on this thing. That was hard. See, you get to choose your hard. Life is hard. You get to choose your hard. And what Abraham's about to do, you think that's a little game? You think that's a joke? You think it's a fun little flannel graph story? It's not for Abraham who's choosing his hard. But Abraham has chosen, I would rather do this hard thing than live the rest of my days without. So I want this hard rather than that hard. A couple things about choosing the hard. The Bible tells us that there's a temptation to accept what is the perceived easy way. In the Old Testament, in the Exodus, the children of Israel come to the precipice of the Red Sea. And Moses has led them through the deliverance of Almighty God and the allowance of Pharaoh to let them go. And they stand at the precipice of the Red Sea, but Pharaoh has changed his mind. We're going to wreck these people. And as they bear down upon the vulnerable, once slaves of Israel, the children of Israel cry out to Moses and they say, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? We'd rather be slaves, for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Notice how Satan puts up a false dichotomy. You either get to die in the wilderness or be a slave. But the Lord says, oh, there's one other way you can yield to me. You can yield. If you yield to me, I got you. But this false dichotomy, and they are choosing. In this moment, they express, we would rather, we would rather be alive than die out here. But they had chosen their hard. We're going to follow Moses. It's going to be hard. What's going to happen? We're sitting on the side of the Red Sea. In just a few moments, they're going to experience the deliverance of God. But it's hard. It's hard. Moses went through the same thing. Moses was growing up in all of the luxury and opulence of Pharaoh's palace. Would have probably been in line to be one of the next pharaohs, if not one of the people in his cabinet, perhaps even the secretary of defense, the secretary of commerce, somebody who would have had uh, great luxury with his life. But Moses chose at a point in his life, I want this hard. The Bible says that he chose rather to suffer. Moses said, I'd rather be a Hebrew and an Israelite and follower of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And so Moses chose the hard of being one of God's chosen people rather than the hard of living in Egypt. Oh, it wasn't hard living in Egypt. You ask the people driving chariots at the bottom of the Red Sea which one was more hard. You choose your hard. You choose your heart. Did Moses go through everything that was easy? Nope. Did Moses have struggles? Yep. He chose his heart. 
Jesus says it this way. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house. It's hard to leave your house and your brethren and your sisters and your father and your mother and your wife or your children or lands for my sake. That's hard. And for the gospels, that's hard to make a stand, to do right, to sever things that don't need to be there because I'm living for the Lord and I'm pursuing the gospel. That's hard. But Jesus will be a debtor to no man, but he shall receive how much? And hundredfold. God will be a debtor to no man. God will never owe anybody anything, but you choose your heart. Notice this, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. Notice this little clause with persecution. You choose your heart. You choose your heart. You can choose your heart, Abraham. You can choose it without me, and you can go through all of these trappings and circumstances of life, or I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Here's the test. This is hard. What are you going to do? Every single one of us choose our hard. Life is hard. It's difficult. There's challenges. And sometimes even God will test us. We choose what hard. What hard thing are you choosing? What hard thing are you going to choose? We choose our hard. Choose the hard thing you will do. Lesson number six. As Moses is standing over the body of his prized son Isaac, the scripture says in verse number 11, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. This is beautiful. Listen carefully to the voice of God and change when prompted. Verse 12 says, and he said, lay not mine hand unto the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9 that a man's heart deviseth his way. We get to choose where we're going to go. You get to choose your heart, but the Lord directeth his steps. This is beautiful. A life for God is not a one-time event. I'm going to live for the Lord. Nope. The Lord directs your steps. There are some of you that have been living for the Lord for 20 years, and 20 years ago you thought it was going to be this, and now it's that. And what? The Lord's directed your steps. You found opportunities, you found friendships, you found callings that you never thought you would be doing 15, 20 years ago, but the Lord has directed your steps. The man's heart deviseth his way. I'm going to go this way, but I have to be in line with the Lord's steps. Check this out. Abraham woke up that morning intent to sacrifice his son by the call of God on his life, but he's sensitive to what God says moment by moment. Are you sensitive to God's leading moment by moment? Or are you trusting on the fact that, oh, I have all these experiences. I have all this tradition. I have done this for a while. I can basically coast on my Christian life. When you're coasting on your Christian life, you're going to miss out on the, uh, on the intrinsic steps that God has for you, the specific things he wants you to do. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. As Abraham is about ready to take his son's life, God steps in and says, Abraham, don't touch the kid. The Bible tells us this in verse number 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. 
excuse me, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. This is beautiful. God never wants to take the life. He never requires human sacrifice. That's not our God. Our God is a giver. God provided a lamb, and that lamb took the place of Abraham's son. Look at verse number 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. means the, go- the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it what shall be seen. On this place, the Lord is seen. As Isaac and as Abraham walked down, there's going to be two servants. What happened up there? The Lord met with us. The Lord provided a lamb. How do you know? Because the Lord sees where we are all the time. God sees you, your circumstances, your financial situation, your medical issues. God sees you. God's not blind. God's not trying to peek or hide away. God sees you. God sees your life. He knows everything about your life. The Bible tells us that this place helps us understand that God sees. Number two, it tells us that the Lord will be seen. Can you imagine Isaac taking Esau and Jacob past that place on their travels? You see over there? That's the place where the Lord is seen. That, that place right there, you can even see some of the, the charred remains. It was on this place where your grandpa and I talked with the Lord. Jacob would take the 12 sons of Israel, and that's the place where the Lord was seen. There's monuments, there's memorials in our life, but even more than any of that, the God who sees us, the Lord desires to be seen. He wants us to be a reflection of who he is. We are to be salt, we are to be light, we are to show who he is. But what's beautiful about this specific place is this is where God in human flesh would offer himself as a sacrifice. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. I want you to take him into the land of Moriah. And offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee. Never been to Israel, but from what I understand, this is a a mountain range with several hills and valleys and several mountains that are going up. And it's in this region, in this area, where Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac, the land of Moriah. Fast forward about 700 years, and the place where Solomon would build a temple is on the Mount of Moriah. In Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse number 1, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father at the place that David had prepared the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, at the same place in the same region, perhaps even a stone's throw from where that opportunity with Abraham and Isaac happened, Sacrifices were made over dozens, hundreds, perhaps thousands and thousands of sacrifices as a monument to God was placed upon there. But then if you take that story and you go a thousand years further, in that same place, just outside of the city gates, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify his people with his own blood, what? He suffered without the gates. Perhaps at the same place, within a stone's throw of where God told Abraham to offer his son, God went through 
and he offered his own son on a cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. And that son died. But as Abraham had belief that God would raise his son from the dead, God rose Jesus from the dead. And our sin debt was satisfied because God didn't require human, uh, us to give our lives for him. He gave his life for us. And the beautiful sacrifice of Jesus happened in the same place. In the same place. What a beautiful full story circle. God tells us that we are to allow God to be seen. And so we yield. And we yield. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, that I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, God desires for us to lay down to yield our lives because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with me. It has very little to do with you. It has everything to do with let God be seen. I yield to you. I lay myself down for you. You are God. I am not. You're important. I'm just your servant. And God desires for us to yield, not just a one-time thing, not just day by day, moment to moment. May we yield our lives in obedience to him. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.